0: Good morning, brothers and sisters. The elders are continuing to pray for you all, and, and we trust that the Lord is at work in your lives, even during these uh, strange and difficult days. We trust the Lord sustaining your faith and your hope in Christ. We are grateful also for how He's sustaining your love for one another. It's been encouraging to hear of people taking the initiative uh, to reach out and care for each other, so we're encouraged by that. We continue to pray for you. And we also ask you to join us in in praying for the Lord to be merciful to our state and to our nation. We can certainly make no claims upon His his mercy, um, but we do plead with Him and and we do so regularly. Pray for you to do that as well, that God would be merciful uh, and bring this trial to an end um, and help us uh, to have humble hearts before Him in the midst of it. Our sermon passage today is Luke chapter 8 verses 16 to 21. So I invite you to take your Bibles and turn there with me. Luke chapter 8, verses 16 to 21. And you can follow along with me as we read. This is what the Holy Spirit says to the church beginning in verse 16 of Luke chapter 8. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar, or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Take care then how you hear, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd." And he was told, your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord given to us for our good. Would you pray with me as we consider God's word? Father, we ask for your help now in these unusual times and Difficult circumstances, we pray that the Word of God would be life to us. We pray, Father, that though we are separated from one another, that we would find uh, comfort and strength for our faith from the Scriptures and that we would hold fast to them, Father, trusting that you are holding fast to us. God, please help me to speak and to teach and preach faithfully from your Word. I would much rather be looking at the brothers and sisters face-to-face as You intend, but we will receive this common grace from You for now. Father, please help me to preach faithfully and please please give Your people discernment uh, as we seek to hold fast to Your Word in the midst of trial. We ask for Your grace now, Father, and we pray this in Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. As you heard in our reading, friends, today's passage is closely related to our text from last week. If you remember, Jesus told the parable of the soils in part to call people to be careful how they hear the Word of God. There are different kinds of soil, Jesus said, but only the good soil holds fast to the Word and bears fruit in the end, so be careful how you hear. That was last week. And in today's text, that same theme carries on. In fact, you can see this straight away from the Lord Jesus Himself. Verse 18, where the Lord says very plainly, take care then how you hear. So the, the burden of last week's parable of the soils carries forward to this week. The urgency of God's Word remains foremost in Jesus' Mind. Be careful how you hear. But at the same time, while the theme is carried forward, it's also being pressed a bit deeper by the Lord. You can also see this in the text, particularly at the end of the passage. In a rather stunning display of authority, Jesus redefines his family as those who hear the word of God and do it. So again, notice the theme. Be careful how you hear, but notice also the progression of that theme. The one who hears the Word of God and does it, that is the person that draws Jesus' attention. That's the person He considers His family. And so, friends, I point this out to you so that you'll see how today's text really does flow out of the parable of the soils. Whenever we read the Gospels, we should be careful to not isolate the passages from one another as though they're just standalone stories. These two passages, last week with the parable and this week with Jesus' teaching, these two passages are working in concert with one another. The imagery has changed, as we're going to see, but the theme carries on. Jesus continues to explain his ministry, apply God's word and exhort the people to hear the Word with faith. So in terms of an outline this morning, our focus will be much the same as it was last week on God's Word in Jesus' ministry. But the unique aspect of today's text is that Jesus presents the Word as active in people's lives. The Word is doing something, Jesus says. And that action is why we ought to be careful how we hear. In fact, that would be a good way to summarize this entire text. Since the Word of God is always active, always accomplishing God's purpose in Jesus, then we certainly ought to be careful how we hear. Let me say that again. Since the Word is always active, then we must, we certainly ought to be careful how we hear. Here, or to say it another way, there is no neutrality before the Word of God. The Word calls all to respond. With that in mind, friends, let's consider three ways that Jesus presents God's Word at work in people's lives. The first comes in verses 16-17 to and has to do with the human heart before God. The second is found in verse 18 and focuses on a person's future with God. And the final point is verses 19 to 21 which highlights our need for allegiance to God. So three ways the word is active. Let's begin in verses 16 and 17 with the first way. The word exposes our hearts before God. The word exposes our hearts before God. Jesus continues to teach in verse 16, but now the imagery shifts from a sower in the field to a lamp in the darkness. Notice the, the image of that lamp. Verse 16, no one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Now you've got to remember, friends, that Jesus is speaking to people who cannot even fathom the amazing reality of electricity. There were no light switches in Jerusalem that you could just flip on and immediately light up a room. If you wanted light, you had to rely on lamps or candles. And if you did light that kind of lamp, you certainly wouldn't then hide it under something. That would defeat the entire purpose. The whole reason for the lamp is to help you see. Light exposes things, you might say. And in fact, that's precisely where Jesus goes in verse 17. He emphasizes the inescapable reality of revelation. Look again, verse 17. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So Jesus is saying that just like a light reveals what is in a room, so also there is a kind of light that exposes what is hidden and secret in this life. Now, as you can guess, there are two questions that we have to answer at this point to understand Jesus' teaching. What is this light Jesus refers to? And what are the secret or hidden things that the light reveals? Clearly, Jesus is not giving a lecture on how to properly use a lamp. So what is He getting at? What is this light? And what are the secret things that the light reveals? Well, friends, the context of Luke 8 makes it clear that the light or the lamp is the Word of God. Specifically, the Word that Jesus proclaims in His ministry. Just look back to verse 11 from last week where Jesus says the seed in the parable is the Word. That sets the theme for the rest of the teaching. Remember, there's no break from the parable of the soils to the story of the lamp. The two images are closely connected, which tells us that the lamp represents God's Word. Specifically, the Word that Jesus proclaims. And this fits with the overall teaching of Scripture, doesn't it? Think of how often God's Word is connected with light. It actually starts in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis 1, where God says, let there be light. God's Word, then, is what brings light. Or think of Psalm 119, where we hear that God's Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Or think about 2 Peter chapter 1, where the Scriptures are presented as a lamp shining in a dark place That calls us to pay attention to what God has said. Where do you think Peter got that image of a lamp in the darkness? Well, he got it from his Lord. So what Jesus teaches here in verse 16 fits with the parable of the soils, and it fits with the overall teaching of the Bible. The lamp Jesus has in view is the Word of God, specifically the Word that Jesus preaches. But what about the secret or hidden things that the lamp reveals. What's that about? Well, again, friends, the context of Luke 8 helps us. Think about the parable of the soils. What did the soils represent? They represented the heart's response to the Word of God. According to God's sovereign will, His Word reveals the soil of each person's heart. And so it is here in verse 17, what the lamp reveals is the condition of each person's heart before the living God. Friends, this is God's purpose for His Word. Whether in grace or in judgment, the Word exposes the hidden reality of the human heart. The Word exposes what our eyes cannot see. By grace, God's Word reveals a heart that believes the Gospel And in judgment, God's Word reveals a heart that rejects the Gospel. But both purposes, friends, both grace and judgment, both purposes flow from God's will for His Word. And this point is essential for us to to understand, brothers and sisters. Through His Word, God reveals every person's heart so that God's purpose is accomplished. So that God's will in that person is done. Whether in grace or in judgment, the Word of God does not return to Him void, as the prophet Isaiah tells us. This is so very important for us to understand. For one thing, this helps us understand Jesus' ministry on its own. This is easy to overlook as you read through the Gospels, but it's something that we ought to pay attention to. Think about the fact that most people in Jesus' day did not believe His preaching. Have you ever thought about that? The Jewish religious leaders certainly did not believe Jesus. They outright opposed Him. And it will be the leaders of Israel, the leaders of the nation who had received the oracles of God that conspire with the Romans to put put Jesus to death. Most people, you see, did not believe Jesus' message. So is Jesus' ministry a failure? Is His preaching of God's Word ineffective? Look, those are serious questions when you read through the Gospel accounts. Remember friends, Jesus announces that the Kingdom of God is at hand. And that the redemptive rule and reign of God is breaking into this world with His ministry. But then most people reject that message. So which one is it, Jesus? Is the kingdom of God coming? Or is your ministry a failure? That's the question. Is Jesus falling short? Has the Word of God through Jesus failed? Well, no. Absolutely not. The Word of God that Jesus proclaims is like the lamp. Of verse 16. It shines light on the human heart. And in doing so, like verse 17, the light of the Word reveals God's purpose in each person's life. So, whether in grace or in judgment, God's Word through Jesus accomplishes God's will. You see, the kingdom of God is coming in Christ, but the kingdom's arrival does not match what we might. Assume the Gospel of the Kingdom is like, a light, is like the light of a lamp. And it reveals what is present in the dark room of human hearts. And it exposes all things in those hearts, friends. Whether it is faith or unbelief. You see, the Word is active. And it exposes our hearts before God. And that leads right into verse 18 where we see a second way the Word of God is active. The Word reveals our future with God. The Word exposes our hearts and the Word reveals our future with God. Verse 18 is Jesus' practical takeaway from His image of the Lamb. Here is how the Lord, uh, Here is where the Lord tells us how we ought to respond to the heart-revealing work of God's Word. Look again, first part of verse 18. Jesus says, Take care then how you hear. So catch the connection between verse 18 and the parable of the soils from last week. If the Word of God reveals the state of your heart, then each one of us ought to be careful how we hear that Word. If the Word is like a lamp that reveals what is present in the darkness, then each of us ought to be careful how we hear that Word. Friends, I want you to feel the earnestness of that statement. No one can remain neutral before the Word of God. No one can hear the Word of God and say, eh, that's not for me. I'll leave it to other people to think about that. It's not an option. The Word of God is active, friends, exposing and revealing the nature of our hearts. And therefore, when we hear God's Word, we ought to humble ourselves with a ready, willing spirit to respond. Remember, the Bible is not merely a source of truth it's not simply a collection of facts and history about God no the word of God is active brothers and sisters it's like the lamp shining its light it is the light of God's revealing work confronting and exposing our lives before the face of God himself so to hear the word is to encounter the living God who speaks let me say that again To hear the Word is to encounter the living God who speaks. Listen, there should be an element of trembling when you consider that reality. Is that how you respond? Is that how you view each moment of encountering and hearing God's Word as this reckoning of your life before the face of the living God who speaks. And before we go any further with verse 18, brothers and sisters, I do want to pause here and remind you of what it means to respond to God's Word. Anytime we hear the Scriptures, the living God is calling us to one of two foundational responses. Repentance and faith. Repentance and faith are the foundational responses that God's Word is always driving us toward. To repent and believe are not one-time actions in the Christian life. They encapsulate the entirety of the Christian life. Which means, every time I read the Word, I'm asking, how is God calling me to repent? And in what ways are the Scriptures calling me to faith? Repentance and faith, it's foundational. So, for example, let's say you're reading the Bible and the Word of God shines the light of conviction in your heart. So you read about the holiness that honors God. Or perhaps you read about the sinful attitudes and actions that don't honor him. And in that moment of reading, you become convicted. You know that feeling, right? I know that feeling. Sometimes it's almost tangible. And, and you know the Word of God is talking about me at this point. What do you do in that moment of conviction? Well, brothers and sisters, you repent. You confess the way that you have not lived in step with God's Word. You turn from that sinful way and then with renewed faith, you run hard after the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. That's an example of taking care how you hear the Word. When the Spirit of God shines the light of conviction into your heart through the Scriptures, you repent in faith. Or for another example, let's say you're reading the Bible, and the Word of God shines the light of glory in your heart. So you read something that is gloriously true about God, how He He sustains the universe with His Word, or how before the foundation of the earth, He determined to save a people through the blood of His Son, Or how He is working all things together for good that will culminate one day in a new creation where there won't be pandemics. Those are glorious truths, friends. And God reveals them to us in His Word. So what do you do in that moment of glory as it breaks in on your heart? What do you do? Well, brothers and sisters, you believe what God has said. And you give Him the worship and the praise that He deserves. You bring your thoughts and your life in line with God's Word and you open your mouth to declare His praise that He is great and mighty and glorious and awesome and good. I think this is a practice of faith that we have lost sight of in our day. This purposeful expression of praise to God that flows from a heart of faith. Listen, I'll just be very frank with you. I'm afraid that in the church we have grown far too accustomed to reading the Bible with our eyes attuned only to the things that seem relevant for me today. And in doing this, friends, we've lost sight of the fact that the vast majority of Scripture is about God. His character, His purposes, His glory, His grace, His goodness, His holiness Why is so much of the Bible about God? Because He wants your praise and your worship. That's the fundamental response of your life that you give to Him by faith. This regular action of praising God. In fact, I'll just ask you, let's let's not be too quick to make general statements about the state of the church overall. Let's just think about our congregation, friends. I'll just ask you, and I'll ask myself, When was the last time you read a portion of Scripture and focused first on what was praiseworthy about God and then only secondarily on how that might relate to you? When was the last time you read the Bible in order to find fuel for worship for your soul? We ought to recover that practice, brothers and sisters. That's part of how we take care how we hear God's Word. We hear and we respond by faith with the worship that God deserves. And let me just add at this point, because I know that some people are prone to ask this this question. Let me just add that this kind of God-centered worship is absolutely the most practical thing that you can do as a Christian. Worship, friends, reorients the heart. You live for what you love. Worship reorients the heart. In fact, worship shapes the heart and transforms the heart so that it looks more like the object that it worships. This is why idolatry is such a problem in the Bible because when you worship dead, lifeless things, what do you become? A dead, lifeless thing. Worship transforms the heart. So when I praise God for his mercy, I'm led to be merciful myself, when I praise God for His sovereignty, I'm encouraged to trust Him for today's troubles and not try to borrow from tomorrow's. When I praise God for His power, I'm led away from sinful self-reliance and I'm led into humility and faith. Friends, do you see the practical difference that being a God-centered, worship-first Christian makes in your life? Worship reorients the heart. It disciples the heart. It transforms it. It shapes it. It conforms it to the image of God. Worship reorients how we live so that we live each day as we ought to live as people before the face of the living God. So let's give Him that worship and let's discipline ourselves to read His Word in order to praise Him. Now, let's look back to verse 18. You'll notice there's a second part to Jesus' exhortation. Here, Jesus explains why we ought to be careful how we hear. Notice what the Lord says, verse 18. Take care then how you hear, for, here comes the reason, for to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. Friends, Jesus is reminding us of the spiritual stakes when we encounter God's Word. To put it very bluntly, eternity is at stake in a person's response to the Word. Those who reject God's Word will find that the darkness of their unbelief continues and that it even progresses. That's what Jesus means when He says that those who have not will find even what they do have is taken away. Unbelief produces further unbelief. And darkness gives birth to darkness. But the one who believes God's Word by grace, Jesus says, will find the opposite. The believer finds that the illuminating light of truth continues to spread in his heart. Leading faith to be strengthened and confirmed. Light gives birth to more light. So, do you see the spiritual stakes at play when someone encounters the Word of God? It's no small thing, friends. Even in this form that we find ourselves in now, which is not ideal of having to record these sermons and deliver them to you uh, digitally without the church coming together. That's not ideal. It's not how we want the church to operate and we trust and we pray that it will end Soon, but even so, even so, as you click on that link on the website or in the email and you hear the word of God, even then, it's no small thing, brothers and sisters. And that's why Jesus begins verse 18 as he does with that exhortation take care then how you hear, because the spiritual stakes are high. Now, in the context of Jesus' ministry, He's talking in verse 18 primarily about the Jewish religious leaders. This is a warning to them to be careful how they respond. And if you think about those religious leaders, you can see Jesus' point. The scribes and the Pharisees think they understand God's Word, don't they? They believe that they have knowledge of God's purposes. And in fact, that's why they would say they rejected Jesus because they're so smugly confident in what they supposedly already know from the Scriptures. But what will be the consequence of their unbelief? Well, consider what Luke describes in his second volume, the book of Acts. Where does the Gospel spread primarily in Acts? What well, it spreads among the Gentiles, doesn't it? while the Jewish religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, are largely left where? In the darkness of their unbelief. Even what they think they have will be taken away. So verse 18 is a warning. It's a warning to the religious leaders who think that they have the truth on lockdown, but in reality, their rejection of Jesus will only lead them further from the truth they claim to know. But of course, God's Word calls us to respond, and so the application of verse 18 extends beyond those religious leaders. What verse 18 anticipates is the final judgment day that every person will face before the living God. How you respond to Jesus Christ has eternal consequences, friends. Those who believe by grace will receive from God even more grace leading to eternal life with Him. But those who reject the Gospel will receive judgment. What they have will be taken for eternity in separation from God. Friends, that divide between faith and unbelief, between salvation and judgment, that is the divide of all humanity. And that divide makes every moment of hearing God's Word a moment of eternal significance. Be careful how you hear." So I don't know who all is listening this morning, but it's a very good chance that there are some listening who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord. There are some who have not responded to God's Word with the repentance and faith in Christ that leads to salvation. And if that's you this morning, friend, I want to plead with you to see the eternal reality that is inescapable for every person. All of us will stand one day before the living God. And the point of division for each of us will be the gospel of Jesus Christ and only that gospel. Those who believe the gospel by grace will enter into the Father's eternal joy, and those who reject the Gospel will enter into God's eternal judgment. And that makes this question absolutely crucial. How are you hearing the Word of God that Jesus proclaims? Are you hearing it with faith or with unbelief? Our Friend, if you don't know Christ today, I pray that God, through His Word, would open your eyes to see the truth of Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected for sinners. I pray that God will shine the light, the lamp of His Word, in your heart so that faith springs up where the darkness of unbelief once held sway. Hear the Gospel, friend, and believe what God has done. He has delivered up His own Son, Jesus Christ, to pay for the sins of His people at the cross the Lord Jesus shed His blood so that sinners would be cleansed and forgiven. And through His resurrection, Jesus has secured salvation for all who believe by grace. He was raised up for our justification so that we would be declared righteous before God by faith. That's the Gospel, friend. And so I'll urge you this morning, wherever you are, hear the Word, hear that Gospel, and by grace, believe. The Word reveals our future with God. It's an inescapable dividing point for all humanity. Faith or unbelief, the Word reveals our future with God. And oh how I pray, friends, oh how I pray, that we would all believe that Gospel this morning. That brings us to the end of the text. Verses 19-21. to where Jesus gives us a final way that the Word is active in our lives. And and this final way really sums up much of what we have said over the last two weeks. The final way that the Word is active is this. The Word demands our allegiance to God. Exposes our hearts. Reveals our future. The Word demands our allegiance to God. Jesus' family shows up in verse 19. And verse 20 tells us they're looking for Jesus. Notice verse 20. And Jesus was told, Your mother and brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. Now Luke doesn't tell us exactly why Jesus' family wants to see Him. But the Gospel of Mark strongly implies that their intentions are not altogether positive. Perhaps they are less than enthusiastic about some of Jesus' claims. Or maybe they're concerned about the growing opposition to Jesus' ministry. For whatever reason, they're now standing outside the place where Jesus is teaching, and they want Jesus to come out to see them. Of course, to come outside, Jesus will have to stop teaching. He'll have to take a break, at least a moment, from uh, proclaiming God's Word. So it's an interesting encounter for Jesus. But as Jesus so often does, He turns this interesting encounter into a teaching moment. Notice Jesus' response, verse 21. But He answered them, My mother and my brothers are those who hear the Word of God and do it. Now, please don't misunderstand Jesus here. He's not heartlessly rejecting His family as though they were unimportant to Him. Remember, just even the final hours of Jesus' life on the cross, how He went out of His way to ensure that His mother was cared for by the Apostle John. So don't hear Jesus in verse 21 as some heartless fanatic who doesn't care about the people that have been entrusted to Him. That's not at all what the Lord is getting at. Instead, Jesus is making a distinction here and it's one that we ought to remember and recover as a church. It's the difference between the good and the ultimate, or the good and the essential. You see, family and other relationships are important. They're good, but they're not ultimate, Jesus says. In the light of eternity, they're not ultimate. What matters most in this life is how you hear the Word. You see, He's bringing it back to the priority of the Word of God. What matters most is how you hear that Word. In fact, those who hear the Word are brother and sister with the Lord Jesus Himself. Friends, that's a striking picture of how faith in the Gospel unites the believer with Jesus Christ. To, hold, uh, to hear the Word and hold it fast by grace is to be counted with Jesus in the family of God. That's an unthinkable privilege. So be careful then how you hear the Word. But Jesus does introduce a new dimension at this point in verse 21 that you can hear and it's one that we shouldn't miss, we shouldn't overlook and if we do, if we were to overlook it, we would we would really miss the point of the text. He does introduce something new. Notice how he tells them what it means to hear the word. Listen again verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Friends, you can see that emphasis yourself. It's the emphasis on obedience. On allegiance to God's Word. Jesus is reminding us that hearing the Word cannot be merely a mental exercise. It's not simply the pursuit of knowledge or information or facts. No, hearing the Word is ultimately a matter of allegiance, it's a matter of action expressed in obedience to what the Word says. You see, Jesus is very practical here. He's very definite. He's very hands-on. At the end of the day, how can you tell if you are hearing the Word carefully? Well, are you obeying it by faith? That's what Jesus would say. That's how you can tell if you're hearing the Word. Are you obeying it? Is your life marked by an increasing allegiance to what God has said? Remember, friends, the scribes and Pharisees of Jesus' day were well-versed in the Scriptures. They knew the Scriptures intellectually. They knew the Law and the Prophets. They prayed the Psalms. They could tell you all the promises of the Messiah from Genesis through to Malachi. The scribes and the Pharisees knew the Scriptures. But they didn't do the Scriptures. They didn't submit their lives to God's Word in humble obedience. When the Word confronted them and exposed their hearts, they hardened their hearts against the Word of God. And they didn't believe. And so in verse 21, Jesus is telling us that He's not looking for more scribes and Pharisees who merely know the Bible and treat it as some academic pursuit. No, Jesus is looking for disciples and servants. He's looking for humble followers who submit their lives to God's Word, and then who demonstrate that submission with obedience, with concrete, hands-on, increasing, tangible, practical allegiance to God in how they live. So what about us, brothers and sisters? What about us? Are our lives marked by increasing obedience to God's word not perfect obedience don't don't try to have jesus say what he's not saying he's not saying do it perfectly he's just saying those who hear the word and do it in an increasing ongoing manner that's marked by repentance and faith what about us are our lives marked by an increasing obedience to god's word where is god's word calling you To obey. It's not a question of if God's Word is calling you to obey. Where is He calling you to obey in His Word? Where can you, by faith, express your allegiance to Christ more clearly by doing His Word? Maybe it's how you use your time. Psalm 90 exhorts us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So perhaps God is calling you to more self-control in how you use your time. Focusing more on others than on yourself and looking for ways to serve rather than to be served. It's a great way to mark your allegiance, friends. What gets the lion's share of your time? So maybe God's Word is calling you to obey in how you use your time. Or maybe it's in how you use your words. Ephesians 4 says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. So obedience means cutting out harsh, complaining, cynical, corrupting, gossiping, and dishonest words. And replacing that kind of talk with words that give life, build up, encourage, invest, speak grace are quick with mercy and tell the truth. Maybe it's in how you use your words. Or maybe it's in how you go about your work. Whether you work in an office or work in your home. Maybe it's how you go about your work. Colossians 3 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So perhaps the Word of God is calling you to obedience in the form of working more faithfully. Giving your best effort on each task. Even the ones you think are silly. And even if your boss doesn't necessarily deserve you to work hard. Even in the workplace, you see, the Word of God is calling you to hear and do what God says. Maybe it's in what you put before your eyes. Maybe it's in how you use your resources. Maybe it's in what occupies your thoughts and your time. Maybe it's in how you... There's a whole host of things that we could say. And that's my point. I think you get the takeaway here. The Word of God is always calling us to respond. It's not a question of if the Word wants our response. It's just the question of where. Where is that response to be aimed? And Jesus Himself reminds us in Luke 8 that the right response, the careful response, the faithful response is humble obedience to God by faith. Where, friends, is the Lord calling you to renewed obedience this morning? The Word of God is active, brothers and sisters. It's always calling us to respond. Faithfulness to Christ means being careful in how you hear. So the Word exposes our hearts before God. It reveals our future with God. And it demands our allegiance to God, how is that active Word calling you to hear and respond this morning? May each one of us, friends, respond with faith and obedience today to the glory of Christ, for the good of the church, and may we also pray for the salvation of the lost. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank You for Your Word, that it is living and active and clear. We pray, Father, for soft, humble, obedient hearts that by faith seek to turn from sin, walk in Your ways, and make You known. Father, help us to be a worshipful, repentant, faithful people who are rooted deeply in the Word of God because through the Word we see Christ and know the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.